Are you ready for the podcast? Come on, you can do better than that. Make some noise if you are ready for the podcast. That's more like it. Let's keep that energy going because it's time for episode one of Happiness Isn't Funny with Gabriel Rutledge. Here's your host, Gabriel Rutledge. Thanks, robot announcer lady. Okay, here we go. New podcast. Uh, hopefully you can't hear the uh, hum of the heater behind me or the planes landing at the airport near my hotel room. It's freezing in my hotel room right now. I'm actually uh, I'm wearing my coat, my new coat that I got for Christmas. Uh, What kind of coat, you ask? Members only. Yeah, that's right. I'm the last member. You know, uh, I would say about 1988, I dreamed of having a members only jacket and uh, 30 years later, the end of 2018, uh, that dream came true. Never give up on your dreams, everybody. I think I might get that rat tail my mom would let me have. I don't think she'd care now. She's 70. I already regret uh, the name of my podcast, uh, Happiness Isn't Funny, with Gabriel Rutledge, because it kind of sounds like happiness would be funny if not for Gabriel Rutledge. Like, it would be much funnier with a different person, but it's on brand, I guess, Uh I wrote a book called Happiness Isn't Funny, True Stories of a Road Comic, available on Amazon, paperback or Kindle. Very well reviewed, not just by people who know me. Actually, I guess I have a blog called Happiness Isn't Funny, too, but I never go there. But I used to, uh, oh, I, I also want to acknowledge uh, how ridiculous that podcast intro music is it's way too aggressive uh for what's actually going to happen which is one man talking in a cold hotel room uh i'm playing drums in that music uh that would be uh an unreleased track from my band bunnyfoot charm that i was in from about i don't know 93 to 99 maybe um, we put out a couple albums, well, I guess one album, a couple of seven inch records, toured the country, which sounds much more glamorous than it was, it was mostly sleeping on punk rocker, rockers, sleeping on punk rockers floors and, uh, making no money, occasionally staying in a hotel if we used one of our mother's credit card numbers. But uh John, the guitarist and lead screamer in that track you just heard, uh he, he keeps finding recordings. I have no memory of any of that at all. I don't even think we ever played it at a show or anything. Uh he keeps finding recordings. He found that one uh uh taped on four track tape cassette. Cassette tape. Yeah. Just in case you didn't know I was forty five years old. I used to be in a band that recorded on cassette. And then we went from town to town selling it on the back of a horse carriage. 
I did just turn 45, by the way, uh, which means I'm five years away from caring about birds, which is something I've been saying on stage, and uh, people laughed, and I didn't know they were. Uh, that's My wife and I always joke about what age am I going to start liking birds and wearing that Indiana Jones hat that all of a sudden you turn 50 and you're like, I need an Indiana Jones hat. Or maybe start riding a weird bicycle. Seems like when you hit 50, you get one of those like recliner bikes with some sort of plastic bubble over it that you made in your garage. Alternative transportation becomes very important at 50. Having like screaming punk rock podcast intro music, I just, I just realized I'm doing to myself the thing that I hate, uh, when, when comedy clubs do it to me. Which is, uh, the music is always way too exciting for your intro. So it's like ACDC, you know. Thunder. Are you ready for your headliner? Thunder. He's been on Comedy Central. Thunder. He's been on Nick Mom Night Out. Thunder. Seriously, it's kind of a weird credit. Thunder. He's on a show on Amazon Prime that no one's watched. Thunder. Seriously, there's not one review. Thunder. I didn't even know that was possible. Thunder. He's here right now. Go nuts. Go crazy for Gabriel motherfucking Rutledge. And then I, I can't, I can't follow ACDC. I'm just a man talking. I can't follow Thunderstruck with like, did you ever notice? Here's some thoughts. I used to have a podcast, uh, I'm back in the game, uh, but I used to have a podcast, uh, with my wife called The Rutledges. And, uh, uh, it was, uh, we did it for three years, Christy and I, and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun until it became sort of a chore, uh, because it was, you know, she's busier than I am. I have time when I'm on the road to do something. That's really why I'm starting a podcast again is I need an activity when I travel. Someone just asked me if I have hobbies and I was embarrassed. I'm like, ah, I'm sort of in between hobbies right now. I, I tried bowling, but we decided to see other hobbies. People liked the Rutledge's podcast. By the way, you can still listen to it. It's still up. Um, it's, uh, on iTunes. Um, it's on RutledgeRadio.com because the, the <laughs> website keeps auto renewing and I forget to cancel it. But, uh, you can, uh, you can listen. We had, uh, hundreds of listeners, which I say jokingly, but if you have a podcast, you actually know it's really hard to get even a hundred listeners. It's, uh, quite the challenge, especially if you don't have guests. But, um, if you were a fan of the Rutledge's podcast, uh, you know, this isn't going to be that. I'm sorry. Uh, it's probably going to be a little less, uh, well, banter, obviously. I have no one else to talk to except robot lady announcer. Um, and my wife is a super hilarious, entertaining person and, uh, she is not a part of this. So it's not, it's definitely not going to be the same thing. Um, but. If you miss it, you can subscribe to it still, and you'll get a random replay every week. I think we're th- we're thinking about taking them down, to be honest, because um, I, I think we did it from 2013 to 16, 
And uh, much like stand-up comedy, uh, I don't know, podcasts don't age that well. You know, I, we didn't say anything horribly offensive, uh, but standards sort of change. You know, I some of the stuff we talked, I, I listened to uh, one of our replays from 2013 the other day, and we were just saying the word, the R word. We were just saying it. And uh, I would not do that now. And I don't think, you know, no one, well, if anyone cared, no one mentioned it then, but it's just... Things change from 2013 to 19. And, uh, by the way, I'm fine with that. I'm not, I'm not gonna yell and scream about how we don't get to say retarded anymore. I'm not gonna die on our word hill. It's not important to me. I don't, if that word hurts people's feelings, uh, it's not that big a deal for me to, uh, uh, not say it in the way that I used to say it, which is like, when someone did something dumb, I would say that. Uh, I I just listened to uh, a little bit of my I think it was 2011 stand up comedy album. Uh, Sometimes laughter hurts, and I also was using that word. Uh, I actually I mean I had a joke about the word. Because my brother is actually Down syndrome, and uh, uh, I did, I did have me. I'll play the joke. I mean, I would still do the joke. It's just really old, so I don't do it anymore. But I think I stand behind the joke. I think. <laughs> I try. I don't want to offend anyone. Although, okay, I kind of, I kind of feel like I'm allowed to say the word retarded <laughs> because my brother has Down syndrome, and he said it's cool. <laughs> said I could say the n-word but he is retarded (laughs) you can't do everything he says you can't I love him but you can't seriously it's not all good ideas okay there you go that's uh I don't know I don't think anyone would find that offensive it's just kind of fun with words I'm not I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. Uh, I'm not an, I guess it's a little edgier than most of my material, but I guess you can sum up my feelings on, uh, political correctness with like, I'm not trying to offend anyone. But if I do, fuck you. Um, I don't mean that. My heart wasn't in that fuck you. I'm not, I'm really, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but, uh, there are times where you're just like, I mean, if you wake up in the morning looking to be offended, you can you can find something. Also, I I do have a Down syndrome brother, but he he had seizures uh, as an infant, so he he only functions as uh, like a one year old. So he did. My brother never said that to me. He never said anything to me except for noises, which you know, like one year olds babble, and so that's what my brother does. He babbles, even though he's. Uh, you know, almost 43, so his babbles are more like, you know. Um, so did I use my uh, special needs brother to uh, make a joke? Yeah, yeah, I did. Same way I use him for parking spots. 
Also, one one reason I'm thinking about taking down the old Rutledge's podcast, besides like just times changing, is uh, well, for example, uh, we uh, we had a podcast where someone called me a cis male, C I S cis. I had never heard the term before. Uh, at that time, and now, so when that episode randomly re- replays and it it says, I'm. You know, I don't understand what a cis male is. It sounds like I just got down from the mountains. You know, it's a pretty common term uh, at this point. But we also, uh, Christy and I, on the pod, the idea of having a podcast is to have strangers listen to you. Uh, and some of them did, but also it was a lot of people we knew, which is great, and thank you. But we would get into some topics that, uh, you know, I don't know, we'd start joking about porn or something or... What exactly is a hot Carl? And then uh, we'd be dropping our kids off at school, and people would be like, oh, man, I was cracking up when you guys were talking about hot Carls on your podcast. And uh, we're like, ah, this feels a little uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, it's our fault, but it feels a little uncomfortable. This podcast uh, that I'm doing now is also, I promise it won't all be stand-up comedy talk, but more uh, than The Rutledges was. Because, uh, I don't know, what else do I have to talk about? Um, this is, this is one thing, uh, I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I, I don't know if this is, uh, if this pertains to other jobs besides comedian. Um, I'm sure it pertains to other entertainment, artistic type jobs, but, <laughs> If you're a comedian, I feel like you always feel like you're doing the wrong thing. Well, maybe I shouldn't speak for all comedians. But I do. Maybe it's because I'm always doing the wrong thing. But and what I mean by that is, like, there's always something we're supposed to be chasing. There's some technology thing that we're all supposed to get behind. Or I remember uh, uh, Dane Cook had a million MySpace friends. And then everyone's like, that's what you got to do for your comedian, get on MySpace. And there was this brief window of time where you could search people by zip code and invite them to your comedy show. And they would go. People were like packing out comedy clubs with weird, random MySpace invites. And it didn't. It didn't last long. But, you know, and then it's on to the next thing. It's on to chasing the next thing you're supposed to do on Facebook or YouTube or, uh, and I don't, I don't know. I'm always talking to someone who is a comedian who ends up making me feel terrible because they just seem like they have shit figured out and I don't. Like I was, I was talking to someone about Pandora and they're like, oh man, Pandora, if you can do it right. Uh, you can get, you know, you can, you can be a draw in comedy clubs because so many people have heard you on Pandora. And I'm like, well, how, <laughs> I'm on Pandora. How do you, how do you do that? And they're like, oh, you gotta get in with this thing and there's this site and there's algorithms. And I started glazing over, but, you know, same with satellite radio. Yeah, they play me sometimes, not a lot. Uh, I talk to people who make a bunch of money, you know, 10, 15, 20, 
thousand plus a year with their streaming income, which it's like sound exchange is what uh pays us and musicians too, I think. But actually Canadian comics get uh a bunch of money from satellite radio because there's a uh, Canadian only comedy channel and you know, there's not that many Canadian comedians, so but there's I mean there's a lot of Canadian comics who are, you know, paying rent with uh just their satellite radio money. Which I do not I look, it's great when it shows up, but I'll I'll tell you, because I just got my last payment. I made like seven hundred something dollars last year. From all of it total. Uh from satellite radio, from Pandora, from Spotify, from everything. Which, you know, it's great that seven hundred bucks randomly shows up, but like when I talk to people who are making way more than that, I'm like, what did, what did I miss? What did, what? And that's, seems to happen a lot. You know, oh, I just put out an album. What label did you use? Oh, that's the wrong. You should have gone with this other label. They're way better. They know how to, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, and the reason I'm thinking about these things lately is, um, if you're on Facebook at all, you've probably seen uh, a dry bar comedy video, which, uh, it's like a, a, a I don't know what they are. It's a, a place that tapes comedians clean comedy specials and, I, and you can rent them, uh, on their site, but really their big thing seems to be they have figured out how to get views on Facebook video. And so, you know, a lot of people, a lot of my friends have millions and millions of views, uh, Facebook views on their video. And people, more and more people are asking me, like, hey, have you ever done a dry bar comedy special? You would be great for that. And I... The sad answer is I turned it down twice. I mean, the first time I turned it down, I didn't know what it was. And it just, I mean, the company that does it, I think they're called VidAngel. And it's basically a Mormon company that is actually being sued by Hollywood movie studios because they take movies and they edit them so Mormon or other religious people can watch them. They take out the swearing. They can, they take out the sex scenes, but without permission. They do this. And so they're being sued. So the first email I get that's like, oh, there's this VidAngel production company, which sounds like porn, by the way, but VidAngel is the opposite of porn. It's, uh, it's Mormon porn, which is where you show less. Uh, so that's <laughs> whatever that was, sound was on my computer. It just, uh, Sounded like I was getting a rim shot for my joke, but, uh, so, I just thought, this seems weird. Record a clean comedy special, there was some sort of deal where you'd make money on the back end, and they paid you a little up front, and I just thought, this seems like a bad idea. And also, the idea of performing comedy that finally Mormons could enjoy did not appeal to me. And I has nothing against Mormons. 
but I was raised as a church kid, right? And part of the reason I do comedy is sort of, uh, as a, as a response to being in a somewhat oppressive childhood. Not oppressive like my parents were these terrible evil people. They were great and I love them and I was lucky. But, you know, part of the reason I love being a comedian is I get to talk about things you wouldn't talk about at a Christian dinner party. You know, so the idea of like, look, I do clean shows all the time. I just did three Christmas parties where I couldn't swear. And it's fine. I'm not, I'm not opposed to doing that. But I just thought, I don't know, this seems like a bad idea. And I think I'm going to regret doing this if I do it. And so I said no. And then I got asked again by someone else, but for the same thing. And... I thought, you know what, if I do this, it's going to be my special. And I don't, I don't want my cleanest 40 minutes to be my special. Because if I, if I have to do a clean 40 minutes, I'm going to be blowing dust off some old stuff. Uh, I'll, it's not going to be a current representation of, of where I am right now as a comedian. And I thought, I don't want that to be my special. So I said no again. And then I thought, well, it's true that that will be my special, but I also have no other special. I'm not turning down Dry Bar because I'm talking to Netflix and HBO and they're in a bidding war for me. So I don't, I don't know. I just did. And then I saw so many of my friends uh, and people I don't even know get so much out of it and... Um, views and social media presence and also you know they do you get part of the ad money that they run and i'm not i'm not going to say how much but i talked to a guy who's one of the the bigger earners on dry bar and he <laughs> i won't i don't want to say a number amount but i'll say like about half of my year half of the money i make an entire year doing 200 fucking shows he makes with just dry bar revenue and I can't help but think once again I have made a wrong comedy business decision I could email him and say I want to do it now maybe I will I don't know but it seemed like a bad idea doesn't I'm trying to defend myself doesn't it seem like a bad idea let's do let's do comedy We'll take the Mormon out of it, even if it was Baptist or Catholic or like I don't, I don't want to put out a Catholic comedy special or a. It just seemed like a bad idea. I had no idea that people were uh, going to be going viral with this thing, but. And also, I've said yes to so much dumb shit before. I thought I'm gonna get, I'm gonna be smart for once, and I will say no to something because this sounds like something I will regret. When Gabriel Rutledge is the face of clean, family-friendly Connolly, I'm going to regret it. I said yes to dumb stuff before. Uh, if you read my book, uh, you've heard this story, or uh, probably I probably said it on the Rutledge's podcast too. But uh, in 2007, I did the uh, HBO Comedy Festival. 
actually, I think HBO slash TBS comedy festival. Uh, and how I, I think it was called the lucky 21 or something. It was some sort of contest aspect to get there. You had to do something at a comedy club and then there were judges and they picked the top two. And then after that, the next level was all online voting and I wasn't even going to bother because I figured why get involved in an online voting thing. And then uh, another comedian who was also doing it called me and said that he had been voting for himself all day, every day, and he was winning and he was going to go. And I, I hung up the phone thinking, that's stupid. I would never – I'm not going to vote for myself on a website all day just so I can go to the HBO Comedy Festival. And then three minutes later, I'm like, of course I'm going to fucking vote for myself all day on a website so I can go to the HBO Comedy Festival. Why wouldn't I? There was no, like, vote once per day limit. So I would just, I made the voting page my home screen. Uh, I would pull up, like, eight of them and then vote, close it down, vote, close it down, vote, close it down. Pull up another eight home screen. I did that all of my free time. Uh, it was like a one week voting window. Thank God. I made it. If it was a month, I might not have made it, but my wife was doing it. I think my sister in law was doing it. And so, yeah, I got to go, uh, to the HBO comedy festival. And I think everyone there was sort of, that was in the kind of contest lucky 21 part was thinking, I mean, we're optimistic, right? We're thinking we're going to, we're going to get, uh, I don't know if discovered seems a little grandiose, but get something. Maybe we'll get a TV show. Maybe I'll get meet a manager or an agent or something. Uh, but really we were treated like contest winners, which we were technically, but we were still comedians. And, uh, you know, it was great. It was fun. We got to hang out with famous people and eat for free, drink for free. Um, but <laughs> actually I met Patrice O'Neill at that. Very briefly at the, that HBO comedy festival and, and, uh, it was 2007. Did I say that? All my stories are not recent. Uh, which was cool. I was a big, it was cool that I met him then, but I guess it means more now because he died, which sounds bad, but, uh, I'm just, I'm a big Patrice O'Neill fan. I think he was, uh, 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 an amazing comic and uh, I really enjoyed him, but, I had a very, it was kind of the perfect Patrice O'Neill experience I could have in 10 seconds, which is, uh, I saw him sitting there backstage before one of my shows. I went over to him. I said, Hey, just wanted to say hi. Uh, I don't think I said the words big fan, but I might have. Um, I was like, I'm, I'm a comedian too. I'm here in the not famous portion of the HBO comedy festival and you know, because I wanted to be, I don't know, I was trying to be self-deprecating. Like, ah, you know, I know I'm not shit. I'm here in the not famous portion. And he just looked at me and he goes, you don't need to say that shit, man. And that was it. That was our entire conversation. Uh He just made me feel stupid for uh trying to be self-deprecating. And he went out to the audience for that show because um Keith Robinson, who he was friends with, was hosting. So he was in the audience and the I, the whole time I was performing, 
all I could think is Patrice O'Neill is watching me right now in the front row. I know where he's sitting. I'm not going to look over there, but God, he's probably just judging me that I'm the world's biggest hack. Uh, so I was just, you know, I'm, the show was okay. It was okay. It was, I mean, it was midnight in Caesar's palace. People are hammered. Um, drinking giant drinks with six foot long straws and stuff, but it was an okay show. But at the whole time, all I'm thinking is like, Oh God, I bet Patrice hates this. I get off stage after uh, my little five minute set. I walk past the front row where Patrice is sitting and he was head back dead asleep, just dead asleep. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, Either he found me so terrible uh, that I put him to sleep, or he was asleep the whole time. But I, I had to laugh at myself. But when I was there uh, at the HBO Comedy Festival, a uh, a man approached me in a suit after a show, and I, which is kind of what you're hoping, you're hoping some stranger in a suit will walk over and offer you an amazing comedy comedy opportunity. And uh, but this guy had a bolo tie on. Which is probably a uh, first red flag. Not a lot of good news comes from a guy with a bolo tie. <laughs> it's mostly like how little you're going to get on your trade in. Or uh, so this guy goes. You were great. He introduced himself. His name's Arnie. He's like, oh, you were great. Uh, <laughs> how would you like it if your c- CD was available? In Flying J truck stops all across the, all across the country. And, you know, I'm like, well, that's not what I thought you were about to say. You know, I, <laughs> I wanted to be like, yes, I will, uh, be on the Tonight Show. But no, it was like, how do you, how would you like to be in Flying J truck stops? But then I was also like, I guess, sure. So I ended up corresponding with the guy, uh, at first, he was going to tape a DVD, and then he figured out <laughs> truckers don't have time to watch DVDs. They're driving. Uh, so then he was going to tape me for a new album. That never happened. I already had a self-produced album I'd done on my own, and so he bought that from me for $1,000. And he, like, all the rights and everything, though. He just, like, straight up owned... He can do whatever he wants with that recording. The material was still mine, but he can do whatever he wants with the recording. Um, and, you know, I think I, my wife was pregnant with kid number two. And, of course, I needed $1,000. I still need $1,000. Uh, so what happens is he puts out an album. He paired it with another comedian. So it's like a, a double CD. Uh and I'm not, you know, this other comedian isn't, I, nothing, we weren't a good match, I'll just say that. Uh, and he called the album Domesticated Party Animal. And the cover is four women in bikinis. I'm not on the cover. I guess it's better I'm not on the cover with the women in bikinis, but it's just like, it's sort of the cover that, I don't know, it looks like a, a Porky's movie cover. It's just like women, in, or like, 
an audition for like a, a hair metal video, like women that would look good sitting on the hood of a car while Warrant plays. And so, you know, I was pretty embarrassed that I had an album called Domesticated Party Animal. I was embarrassed by the graphics. Um, and then I remember talking to another comedian about it later and saying like, ah, yeah, I did a, I did one of those deals with Arnie, the Flying J truck stop guy. And, but you know what? And the other guy cut me off and he's like, ah, you know what? I did one of those too. It's not the best thing in the world, but I don't know. At least I got $3,000. And I I didn't say anything, but fuck me, man. I was like, okay, it might even have been five. I can't remember. So not only did I sell out, I sold out for $1,000 and he was clearly willing to pay much more than $1,000. And then to make it worse, first, I never saw one. I stopped at some Flying J's, never saw it in there. I thought, okay, who cares? Uh, no one's ever going to see it. And then someone taught Arnie the internet. And so, I don't know, five, six years ago, uh, he, all that stuff is on, you know, Pandora, everything else, which I do get money from, but that's the album cover that, look, if the album cover was fine, I still wouldn't want that album to be in Pandora because it's just a really long time ago and I'm sure the material would be very embarrassing. Uh, but that cover with the girls in bikinis, it come when you, it, not only did he release it, I don't know when, uh, five or six years ago, he, he did a best of. And so I'm on that too. So that it shows up as my most recent album. If you go to Pandora, my most recent album that came out in 2017 is Domesticated Party Animal, Four Ladies in Bikinis. And, uh, it's pretty embarrassing. And that's what I should have named this stupid podcast, Domesticated Party Animal. Take the name back, but. So I thought my lesson, I thought my lesson from that was no more saying yes to what seems like a dumb idea. And so, uh, I said, <laughs> I said no to drive bar and, uh, it might have cost me some money. Um, hello. This is a commercial word for Anchor Podcasts, the easiest way. To host your podcast. Um, if you don't have a podcast, congratulations. You probably have an enjoyable life full of friends, family, and fun. Uh, but if you do have a podcast, um, I'm sorry, and you should use Anchor Podcasts. Uh, it's easy. It's free. Uh, they distribute everything for you. They give you sponsorship, which apparently it's just talking about anchor i guess that's their sponsorship but i don't want to brag but i make you know maybe six bucks a month doing this so worth it of course it is uh go to anchor.fm or the anchor app we now return to another riveting episode of the rutledges but I'm, okay i'm bitching but um i'm not things are fine i'm not I'm, you know, I'm not complaining. I'm I'm doing fine. My career is actually decent. Did you hear how hard that was for me to say? Decent. Uh, that's actually one of the things I wish. That's what I want to tell people who buy my book now. 
uh, is that I'm doing okay because uh, I wrote. The, I mean, my book came out I think 2014, but it I wrote it. It was like a year long journal that I wrote in 2010 and 11. And, uh, you know, it was a much more of a struggle than it is now. I mean, uh, I, you know, I make more than twice the amount of money I made in 2010. I'm not poor, which is that bragging? That's not, I don't know. You can, <laughs> maybe you can tell I don't, <laughs> I don't come from very much because saying I'm not poor sounds like bragging. But I'm not. It's only been the last, you know, three to five years of my life, but I'm not. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I have zero savings and zero retirement. And if I'm still, if I'm waiting for a check from somebody, uh, things can get a little tight. But I'm not, like, it's not, my finances aren't code red all the time. And, uh, you know, so I kind of I, I I know people appreciate the struggle that I um, I shared in uh, in my book, but I also <laughs> part of my pride when they're like, "Oh, I read your book, man, good for you," and I want to be like, "I'm doing a lot better now," but I'm you know whatever. Uh, and also, uh, look, uh, all comedians want to be doing better, from open micer to Chris Rock. Uh, we all have something, uh, right above the level we're at that we wish we were doing. And yeah, I would like to do more TV. I would like to put out a special, not run by a Mormon company. I, of course, I want to do all those things. But, um, also, there's things that aren't goals that I've gotten to done, that I've gotten to done. There's things that aren't goals <laughs> that I have gotten to do that have been amazing because of stand-up comedy. Um, I Like a month ago, I performed in Pakistan. I did four shows in Karachi, Pakistan. That's not a thing I wanted to do as a goal or like someday I'm going to perform in the Middle East. Uh, but, you know, it was an amazing experience that only came about because of stand-up comedy. Um, it was fun. I mean, it was a little stressful, but, um, and also, you know, two and a half hour flight to LA, 16 hour flight to Dubai, and then a two hour flight to Karachi, Pakistan. That's a, you know, people are like, would you go back? I'm like, yeah, but not for a while. That, the flying was pretty brutal. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a crazy experience. And, um, we stayed where we were staying was uh not a hotel but uh, a house actually two houses kind of together sort of imagined uh <laughs> imagine the place that narcos lives like big balconies um and also uh there were servants in the house which i guess maybe the top 10 15% wealth wise in pakistan they all have like live-in servants. There's people who cook and clean and uh, drive them and stand in front of their house with a machine gun. And uh, it was a little, uh, it was a little weird. I mean, I had a bell next to my bed. I could have rung the bell. And then like this 
nice young man would uh, come running in. I, I didn't do it. Uh, although I did get used to it fast. I mean, day one, I'm like, you know, he was talking to me, the, 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 our host and who's, who it was his parents' house. He was like talking about the people who lived there and worked there. And in my head, I was like, well, I bet they're not, it's not, it's not like they're servants. And then he was like, so yes, we have servants. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> okay. They are servants. Uh, but yeah, so at first they, you know, he'd come by and be like, I don't want to say my servant, but I guess he kept, you know, he was in charge of me. Clearly he kept coming by coffee, tea. Uh, and you know, day one, I was like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Uh, day two, I was like, where's the dude with the coffee? I could, I'm getting kind of used to that service. Um, it was also weird because, uh, I don't know, this is a <laughs> there's a lot of, a lot of, I guess I did put explicit content on the, uh, podcast. So, uh, there's no porn sites in Pakistan. It's not a free internet. Uh, I did learn you can still find pornography online, but that's, that's gonna be in my book, uh, Masturbating in the Middle East by Gabriel Rutledge. That's gonna come out later this year. Uh, but yeah, if you just go to a porn site, it will not show up. It's like, it's blocked. Um, which, uh, yeah, not to be crude, but I have, I haven't had to really use my imagination. Have you tried to masturbate with your imagination? Wow. I was rusty. I didn't, (laughs) I haven't done that since high school. I tried to think of like old porn clips I'd seen. I didn't know what to do. My brain, the imagination part of my brain is dormant. Uh, but yeah, it was a weird, not weird, but so much different. Uh, so much different than where I live, obviously. Uh, you know, it's an Islamic state. I mean, the, uh, prayer things come over the loudspeakers from mosques all day and, uh, Although no one really does anything. I guess in my mind that the, the call to prayer would come on and everyone would like drop to the ground and start praying, but it just, it's sort of like background noise. It's like church bells, you know? Uh, the, the shows were great. Um, they were a challenge because, uh, you know, everyone, everyone spoke English. They were not expats though, just, you know, uh, Pakistani people who had probably you know, a lot of them had gone to college in Europe or, or, or America and, you know, they spoke English. Um, but the still not everything, not all the references translated. So that was kind of fun. That was kind of a challenge to do that. We went to an open mic, uh, which was great and also mostly in Urdu, which is their language. And so to do, in, to do comedy in English after everyone else did comedy in Urdu, uh, is a little, uh, scary to be up there like, hello, do you understand me? Um, but it was great. And also to see a woman, I don't know enough about the different sex of, uh, uh, sex, S-E-C-T-S, of, uh, of, 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 you know, the Muslim faith, but, you know, some of the women, you could just see their eyes covered in black. Some of them just had the, 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 you know, sort of the head wrap thing. Um, and then some just, you know, 
dressed uh, like you would see a standard American woman. Um, but to see a woman in a, a hijab, I think it's called, the head wrap, doing stand-up comedy in Urdu is not a thing you would think you would get to see based on uh, what we see and hear on the news. Uh, and that was kind of funny, too, because it was like the most of it in Urdu, and then all of a sudden the English, you hear her say, my husband's farts. And I'm like, well, I guess your husband's farts are funny across the globe. Um, so in some ways, it, w- it was a very modern uh, a place, and in some ways it was not. I mean, um, just uh, piles of rubble and garbage next to a luxury hotel. You know, it was... I know the the, the divide in uh, between uh, uh, the haves and have-nots is not great in America either. Um, Google Bernie Sanders if you want to hear him read off some of those statistics. But it's it's even worse in Pakistan. Like if you have money in Pakistan, it seems like a pretty nice thing. But it's the poverty is pretty rough, and also just the sort of. Uh, I don't even know if it's poverty, but just the infrastructure is, uh, you know, buildings with giant bundles of of wire hanging out windows. And um, we, we went to a beach uh, and just filthy, covered in garbage and shit, and n- no one goes in the water. And, it, it you know, things like that. It's like it's, um, it's uh, you know, there's a lot of rubble, um, but also... Uh, uh, a lot of beautiful things also. And, uh, we, en- we ended up going to a lot of, uh, these parties and people, uh, you know, everyone would say to us, uh, is this the Pakistan you expected? Um, and yes and no is the true answer. I didn't know what to tell them, but like, no, because I didn't. I guess in my own uh, American prejudice, I thought, I guess I thought a rich person in Pakistan would be like me. Like middle class American would be considered rich in Pakistan, but that is not the case. They seem to be doing very well at the top end uh, as far as beautiful homes and, you know, the servants and uh, um, things like that. And... Uh, so no, I didn't think I'd be going to these private parties and I didn't think I'd be <laughs> uh drinking and smoking pot cuz there's no there's not even bars in you know Islamic law, you don't drink, right? So it's like everything is uh I don't know where they got their alcohol from, but people drink, but not in public, which is kind of a weird thing. But the part that was the same is like you know, not that I, I didn't have any expectations, really, but, you know, the, like, in some ways, a very modern place, just like North America, but uh, also we saw our host, who's from Pakistan, said for the first time in his entire life he saw a woman driving a motorcycle in Pakistan, um, which is motorcycles and, and, and scooters are like their main transportation i mean and the occasional camel i'm not even joking there was camels on the road and donkeys and semi trucks and all on the same road uh but 
you know, so yeah, it is like, yeah, it's just like, just like where we live, except women don't drive. Um, and I don't know, I'm in the, I, I want to respect their culture, but I also, that seems kind of fucked up to me. Um, they actually, they don't sit. The women who are, I, by the way, I saw like a family of six on one scooter, which I was taking pictures and sending them to, uh, to my wife because she's very concerned with car seat safety. Oh. Uh, she'll like throw our car seats away because they're expired. And I'm like, it's plastic. How does it expire? She's like, well, they're not safe anymore. I was showing her little, you know, a one year old kid holding handlebars. There's another kid on top of the dad. There's another kid holding another kid above his head. It's, uh, it's like, Jenga for families. Uh, but the women, uh, uh, you know, they don't drive the motorcycles or the scooters. So when they sit behind the man who is driving, they don't straddle them because that would be considered, uh, I don't know, not okay. Like too sexually, too sexual, right? To open your legs behind a man like that would be, uh, not okay. So they kinda, they all sit side saddle, uh, uh, behind their husbands. It looks kind of adorable, I'm not gonna lie. They're all just like sitting side saddle, uh, behind. Even if it's like a, a, a clearly a husband and a wife and their two kids on a motorcycle, the mom is side saddle. Until, uh, in fact, and I got used to it in the five days I was there. I just saw nothing but like side saddle ladies. And then one time we rolled up to a stoplight and, uh, this, this couple on a motorcycle next to us and this woman was just sitting behind her man like you would see in America, like straddling him. And, um, it was, uh, it was exciting because I finally had something to fantasize about. Uh, all right, I got, I should wrap this up uh somewhat. Um it's embarrassing uh to do your own show plugs, so I think I'm gonna have uh Robot Lady do my show plugs. On Thursday, January third, Gabriel will be bring his comedy styling to the Central Comedy Show at the Central Theater in Seattle, Washington. On Sunday, January sixth. I hope Portland, Oregon is ready for the thunder because Gabriel will be at the Siren Theater. Have you ever heard of a club called Ocean's 5 in Gig Harbor, Washington? Well, go check it out on Thursday, January 10th, because Gabriel Rutledge is about to make it famous. And on January 11th and 12th, Gabriel will be flat out murdering at the Carson Nugget Casino in Carson City, Nevada. Go to GabrielRutledge.com for more info and all of his upcoming shows. Wow. Uh... That might be uh, promising more than I can deliver. I'm not sure if I'm going to bring the thunder to all those shows, but thank you, Robot Lady. Uh, I guess I'll say what people say on a lot of podcasts, which is, uh, you know, uh, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Um, and you might be thinking, I just, I've only listened to one episode. I don't know how I feel about your podcast. I'm not asking for an honest rating. I'm asking you to be nice and give me five stars, whether I deserve it or not. Um, I hear some podcast hosts say, if you give me a, a, a five-star review, I'll read it on the podcast. Um, with, that almost sounds like a threat, but I don't know, maybe. Uh, maybe I'll read it. 
Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate that. And then, you know, the world's changed a little since my last podcast. So I think this is on Spotify and, uh, uh, what, Alexa? I was going to call Alexa Amber, which is weird. Um, there's a bunch of places podcasts are that they didn't used to be, but you know, you know where to find them. Um, I have a website for this podcast, but it's kind of complicated to get to. I'm going to work on that. But uh, if you have any questions, comments, send me an email, gabriel at gabrielrutledge.com. And uh, I don't have an ending song yet, uh, but I thought, well, one of the houses we went to in Pakistan uh, for a little after party, beautiful home. In fact, it had been in an architecture magazine that looked over the whole city. Uh, it was spectacular. And this guy, uh, he had uh, an amazing record player, which is another thing you do after you turn 50. I'm waiting for that. Uh, and he was just playing a, 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 bu- a bunch of music, and he put on Credence Clearwater Revival. And uh, I re- I've never felt more American in my life. Because, you know, it's weird to sort of talk politics with Pakistani people because your country, my country's government, and yours too, if you are American, we we have drone striked their country and accidentally killed a lot of people who had done nothing wrong. And so it's a weird, it's it's not easy to walk around as a representation of some questionable foreign policy. And, um, and I don't think that's not really a political statement. It's just, uh, you know, to have those conversations, I, I'll be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't really feeling, uh, very patriotic as an American in Pakistan until Creedence Clearwater Revival came on. And I was like, you know what? I had a very, uh, America fuck yeah moment. And I was like, this is my country. Any country that Creedence Clearwater Revival came out of uh, cannot be all bad. And, uh, in fact, it might be partly good. It wasn't even one of my favorite Creedence songs, but I think it's going to be now because uh, it's uh, it's the soundtrack for my most patriotic moment. So uh, we'll go out with that. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, tip your weight, staff. Talk to you next time.
show is over. We're done. Bye.